Welcome to Dietitians Uncorked, a podcast hosted by Kat and Kelly, two registered dietitians who co-founded Nutriving, a virtual nutrition practice. We talk all things food, nutrition, life, and of course, wine. This is a judgment-free zone where all foods fit and all bodies are welcome. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Dietitians Uncorked. We are so happy to be with you. I am Kat, and I have a friend with me today. (laughs) Hi, guys. She's the friend that's always here. (laughs) (laughs) Just me. (laughs) Um, Kelly, we have an episode about um, diabetes or high blood sugar, high blood insulin levels coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to dive into it. Um, I do have, um, a very random question for you. Okay. Um, because, because it, it maybe this will be relevant. Maybe it won't be relevant at all in your podcast, but how do you feel about people saying like, if you're listening to an audiobook, can you say that you read it. This is really important to me. <laughs> so I've actually like, never listened to one before. What? Ever. Yeah, I fear that I wouldn't... I mean, I don't actually know, right? I haven't tried it, but I just... I don't know. I don't know if my brain could process it. it to me, I'm scared it would feel like I didn't read it. Like, I wouldn't be able to remember things, you know, as well. Mm. As if I'm physically mm. reading a book, but this is based on again nothing because I've never actually tried it. Interesting. So if yeah, I don't. This is something I st- I have not been able to find clarity about. But sometimes <laughs> I will. I I do listen to a lot of audiobooks as well as read them, um, and so like for example on Goodreads, like mm-hmm. I will put a book that is read on there because I did, I do know the plot. I know the characters. I, I, but I listen to it. Right. And I always feel a little weird doing that. And then also if I'm referring back to it, it feels sort of weird to say like, oh yeah, I listened to this book that talked about whatever versus like, Especially if it's a well-known book versus just saying, I read it in the book. Because mm-hmm. then people get it that it, we're talking about the same book. For some reason, when I say, I listened to it in this book, they will be like, wait, what do you mean you, like, did you listen to someone talk about it? And I'm like, no, I listened to the book in an audio book form. Mm-hmm. So that's just like, deter- you know, distracts from the point I'm trying to make. So I just, you know. Like, we're about to talk about diabetes and blood sugar or whatever, and I have information that I want to share, but then I don't know if it's um, okay to say that I read it when I actually, in fact, so listen to it. So you have information to share related to our topic that, that you've listened to through an audiobook. Yes. Am I following it? Yes. <laughs> Yes, and I just want to know if I can say in the future I read yeah. it, or I mean, do I, I need so. to make if, if you're the point? Like, if again, I, I don't have experience with this because 
I just read the, you know, I like reading like actual books. I even don't even use my Kindle that much anymore. Like I like getting a physical mm. book from the library because that's who I am. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you're that having tracks. the same experience, you know, like if you can recall the points just as well as if you like read a physical book, then, you know, it's just a different, ver- you're listening to it in a different format, but you're still getting the information. I just, I would guess right. that for some people, they're better able to process like, odd, you know, different learning styles, right? Some people can listen to something sure. and totally absorb it. And for other people, it's much easier to read it or, or to write it or, you know, be involved depending on like what the topic is. But I'm curious what so- book you read that... Well, it's just the point really is honestly not even the information. <laughs> it's just how I present it because every time I want to say that, like I read it, I always second guess how I should say it. And so mm-hmm. then I end up spending a lot of time in my brain thinking about this. Um, and I wonder if like people feel like if you're cheating, if you say like, <laughs> I read it and you didn't actually read, you know what I mean? And so then I'm like, am I, am I a cheater? I anyway. have never <clears throat> once wondered if someone's shared something that they've read. I have never once thought, I wonder if it was an audiobook or a physical <laughs> book, nor have I had any judgments about if that counted okay. <laughs> towards reading anything. So I mean, from uh, my perspective, that you're good. Feel better. <laughs> Um, that makes me feel uh, really good inside okay. that you uh, we're off to a that good you start have, then. that that you don't hold any judgment for <laughs> audiobook uh, people. Anyway, so diabetes. Let's talk. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah, good transition. Um, uh huh. <laughs> so this this episode is part of our chronic disease mini series, which is something that Kat and I wanted to share because we often work with patients who have a chronic disease or are maybe kind of on the border threshold of being diagnosed with a chronic illness. Um, And these are all illnesses that are impacted by nutrition. So of course there Mm -hmm. are going to be other factors, you know, genetics and, and things like that. But these are diseases that we can specifically help patients with by, you know, talking about nutrition, making goals around nutrition, providing nutrition education. So we have done episodes on metabolic syndrome. I believe was our first one. Uh-huh. Then we did a hypertension before this, uh, mm-hmm. so high blood pressure. So if you're listening to this and you're interested, feel free to go back to those episodes. We essentially share what that chronic disease is, you know, in a, not super detailed or sciencey, but just kind of a general understanding. And then we share our perspective as dietitians who have worked with patients who have those chronic illnesses and what kind of things we talk about with them. So that's kind of the purpose of this mini series. And today we're going to focus on diabetes and I'm sure pre-diabetes, I would assume, because I know you and I both Mm -hmm. have worked with patients who are kind of on that border. Yeah. Do you find that the topic of pre-diabetes or insulin resistance is sort of more prevalent in like people's like casual conversation about diet and health for for me for some reason it feels like I mean I talk about chronic kidney disease all the time but Mm -hmm. not in the wild right it doesn't come up in conversation um but 
pre-diabetes and insulin resistance do for me a lot lately. Um, I'd say in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering Compared if that's the before. same for you. Yeah. Yeah. You mean with like family, friends, acquaintances, like yeah. those kind of discussions? People at the grocery store. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know if I would say I've noticed a difference per se. I find that, um, of course, with our patients, you know, that that's a different, like mm-hmm. we have kind mm-hmm. of a shared understanding about what they're coming to us for. But in terms of like friends or family or acquaintances, uh, it doesn't, hasn't changed really for me. I'm not sure how many people are kind of aware of the concept of pre-diabetes. I think most people are aware of diabetes, even if they might, sure. it's talked about a lot, right? You might see like news articles or whatever to, you know, do this, do that, prevent diabetes. But I feel like pre-diabetes is not as, I don't know, in your face. I also don't think it's talked about as much as it should be with doctor's appointments, you know, with, with people who are getting their health care. And you and I know this from working in inpatient, right? We have a patient come in and they very well probably already have diabetes, right? Like we look at their mm-hmm. labs and see that and yet no one has talked to them about it. And that is an experience <laughs> that will stick with me that I know you and I shared from working in inpatient which is essentially the whole reason yes. we started our private practice, New Thriving, was to help people before they get sick. So this is our, this is our interest area, our sweet spot. Yes, yes. This is our origin story of <laughs> coming into uh, wanting to have some, a space that we could sort of bring people into uh, a more prevention uh, approach rather than a... Let's freak out because you've had blood work that reflects diabetes for the past four months and no one told you, um, which feels uh, not just cruel and unethical and all the things, but just sort of like a missed opportunity. Yeah, very much. So let's establish some common ground. Kat, how would you, let's say you're talking to your grocery store clerk or just kind of an acquaintance. (laughs) Um, not a patient. As you do. Yeah. Just, um, you know, anyone out in the wild, if they asked you, like, what is diabetes or what is pre-diabetes, let's just stick with diabetes for clarity. What, and you want to just give like a short, concise answer, not super sciencey. How would you explain it? Um, yeah. Uh, one of my... <laughs> One of my uh, patients in the hospital, I, I was like an intern, I think, um, and he was a brand new uh, type 2 diabetes um, patient. He had just been diagnosed, and so I was doing the honors of teaching a little bit about it, and um, I remember I was like, so you've been diagnosed with diabetes, and he was like, what? It's like, and I knew he knew that he was diabetic, so this wasn't one of those situations, and I just said... Like, I, you've, you've been diagnosed with diabetes? And he was like, oh, the sugars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have the sugars. Mm-hmm. And since then, for the rest of my career, I call diabetes the sugars. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, I would say um, if I'm trying to avoid big words, but it's, it's something related to your endocrine system. And I know that feels like a big word, but it's just, I, I think my point with that is that it's not just people assume that diabetes has to do with like, 
just eating sugary things. It's much, much more complex. There's different types of diabetes. Some people have heard of type 1, type 2. There's even a type 3 at this point. Um, so there's, there's different classifications, but essentially it's when your uh, pancreas is unable to provide, it's either unable to provide the um, appropriate amount of insulin in your body to handle the blood sugar control, or sometimes it is providing enough insulin, but there's something preventing the insulin from working properly, and therefore your blood levels of sugar, of glucose, are um, abnormally high. And this might cause some serious complications like issues in vision or nerve damage, you know, some uh, sense of loss of, of uh, nerve, sort of nerve damage to your hands and feet. Um, it can uh, really cause some harms to your kidneys. I mean, it's a very complex disease and it affects multiple organ systems. That's how you talk to your grocery store clerk that's exactly <laughs> what i what i said they and he said when did you come you... to check out <laughs> and he said did you read that or did you hear that from an audiobook and you know yeah <laughs> um maybe that was not as simple as i thought well, i mean you're right <laughs> it's, it's not a simple illness right it, it is hard to distill it down um And, you know, it depends, like, whoever you're talking with, it depends on what they know about it. You know, often we try to work with, if we're working with patients, like, we want to figure out what do they know about it so far. Sometimes people just know, you know, that it has something to do with blood sugar and that their blood sugar is high, right? They might just know that. And so a lot of our job is, um, when it comes to the education component, is helping people understand what's actually happening. So Kat mentioned, you know, different hormones like insulin. It's helping people figure out like, how does that, especially if they're taking insulin, right, as part of their medication regimen. Um, I have always found that people are much more likely to follow the recommendations if they understand why you're giving them the recommendations. And so I really enjoy that part of our job, just helping people understand what the disease is, um, what's involved with it, like why, why is my body not responding to insulin, you know, anymore like it used to, um, Mm -hmm. those kind of questions Mm -hmm. come up a lot. And I think having that understanding helps people feel like, okay, that makes sense. Like now I get why you want me to pay attention to, you know, what kind of foods have carbohydrates and complex carbohydrates versus simple carbohydrates and, you know, the layout of our plate, like what portion of foods are coming from different food groups and all that. Um, so that's something that I've really enjoyed in terms of like counseling patients. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say is like the biggest misconception as far as like people having diabetes or being afraid of having diabetes? Do you think that you have one that comes to mind? that people sort of I bring up to you? Yeah, I would say many times patients are like, oh, so I can't eat carbohydrates anymore. I'm not supposed to have them at mm-hmm. all, um, which I understand why people might come to that conclusion, right? Especially in the carb is the devil type era that we're still sure. in, I would say. Currently um, in. Yeah, mm-hmm. so helping people understand that 
that's, that's not entirely true. It's, you know, we do need carbohydrates and, and there's actually just read this research study on low carbohydrate diets and diabetes, like specifically type two diabetes and just kind of the recommendations around that. But even they considered a low carbohydrate diet, I think it was 130 grams of carbs per day. So that's much more than like if someone's following, you know, a keto diet or I don't know, paleo, other things like that, that person might be limited to like 25 grams of carbohydrate in a day, which is like a piece Mm -hmm. of bread and a half to give context for listeners. So I think, I think I'm getting lost in what I was saying, (laughs) but essentially the, the, that misconception is there that people have to completely eliminate it, which I don't think is true. I think there are different ways to manage it. Some people I do think feel better on, you know, a lower carbohydrate diet than maybe they were doing before. Um, with other people, it's more, it, it might be just changing the composition of their meals in general. So carbohydrates is part of what we talk about, but we're also discussing protein and fats and how to build meals and snacks that have a good balance of all of those to support their blood sugar management. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say? I think- Are there any other ones that come um, to mind? I'm sure you probably agree with the whole no carbs thing. For sure. For sure. Um, And it becomes like a, I can't eat anything kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah. And then also like there's sort of a, a miss, I guess guess it's hard to know like who to trust when there's so much noise around uh, diabetes and the management, but when you say like no, these are perfectly healthy foods, it's sort of like they look at you like, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, the other thing I I do find, and I cannot believe that I'm still finding this to be the case, is sort of the my doctor told me I have diabetes, so I can eat white foods, mm. and it's, I guess I get that maybe like. A doctor's trying to like get through with like explaining what kinds of foods have carbs in them, and maybe that's an easy way to sort of say like bread, rice, pasta. Like I get, I get it, but like saying that you can't have these things that they're staple foods in a lot of cultures right. and a lot of our lives, you know, and so it feels it's similar to what you're saying, where it's like, like you can't really have any of those. So usually. Um, but it's interesting white foods because then I'm like, you know, it's, are you limiting things that are like, I don't know. Cauliflower, I onions. Guess, right. Like is garlic going to be part of this? Right. Uh, you know, like it, it sort of, it feels uh, kind of a, a silly uh, norm. Yeah. Like an, it's an oversimplification. Um Sure. It also drives me crazy the along with the the white foods thing just feeling like everything has to be whole grain like whole grain is so incredibly superior to white which I do not agree with I think there are plenty of ways to incorporate you know if you love white rice or white pasta if that's if any of those foods are like very important to you culturally I think there's plenty of ways you know to incorporate those like 
you don't have to never, you, you don't have to completely abandon that food. And I think that that's a, like a lot of nuance in, you know, diet education that a doctor might like start to dabble in or, or another healthcare provider might start to dabble in and like they don't have enough time to really talk with the patient. Like, is that food important to the patient, right? Because if it is, if it's not, who cares? But if it is, like there are plenty of ways we can figure out how to help the patient have that food. Maybe it's not in like the quantities that they had before. Maybe they're mixing in more variety, but there are ways. And sometimes I think some healthcare providers just don't have the time or can't take the time to really go into those things, which is why I feel like our job is super important because that is our expertise. Like we are here to talk about exactly that. So if you are a healthcare provider who's listening to this, I want you to know we got you. Like we can do it. <laughs> Just pass that off to us. Send them our way. Yeah. Yeah. Send them our way. I'd say if I could name like, and, and jump in at any point, but if I could name like if somebody was coming to me with like prediabetes or diabetes or just like elevated blood sugars and we're kind of navigating that territory Mm -hmm. of diagnostic, um, I'd say nutritionally, we probably would start with carbs as a, as a macronutrient, but sort of identifying them, you know, the quality of carbohydrates, the portion and just knowledge is power. So understanding what carbs do in our body, good, you know, and inadequate portions in when we're having way too much maybe added sugars or things that are not really providing much for us, like Mm -hmm. what are the things that might cause in our body? Um, Fiber makes a a big sort of, uh, I'd say big part of that conversation is fiber and and understanding how fiber plays a role in blood sugar management. Um, So kind of that. Um, Then I would say maybe portions in general, like appropriate portions and... um, uh, timing of meals kind of becomes important also mm-hmm. with managing blood sugars. Um, what else? Hydration. Hydration for sure. Um, I think after, you know, kind of getting the carb piece down, the fiber piece down, talking about how protein and fat can play a role, you know, in our, our meal composition as well. Um, that could be really helpful and it's a good stepping stone to like the practical application. So of course we want patients to understand all of this, but we also want them to be able to apply it and actually plan, Mm -hmm. you know, meals and snacks that are balanced and then are going to support their blood sugar. And so understanding like each of those building blocks, the macronutrients, the carbs, the fat, the protein, what roles they play, how to balance them together. I think when a patient can grasp that, which sometimes takes a lot of time, like it's, it's information that people sure. are not taught in school. They're just kind of going off like what you see on maybe social media or news information. And so it can take some time to really grasp that concept and especially to apply it like as the, the next yeah. level. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I think that's nutrition counseling, medical nutrition therapy, which is what we provide. Um, that is that is huge. Um, I think also a part of this conversation, especially if you're somebody who's like, I had my blood sugar checked not too long ago and like my fasting was like slightly elevated or, you know, or my mm-hmm. parents have type 2 diabetes or something and it's something you're concerned about. I think 
uh, eating healthy and balanced is it's a huge part of this, but also physical activity. I mean, sure. one of the biggest players when it comes to prediabetes is lack of physical activity. And we know the impact is profound. It's you can measure it like a before and after of, of date, you know, sort of more habitual practice of physical activity. So if that is you just throwing that out there, that there is so much we can do, um, to kind of prevent the progression of this very complicated chronic illness. Yeah. I think that's a huge part and something, you know, we definitely spend a lot of time talking with patients and I think it could be, that part can be very hard to start for some people. And so it's really about finding, you know, what, what type of activity is a good entry point for you? For a lot of people that could be like 10 minute walks, you know, starting to incorporate those, Mm -hmm. especially after meals can be super powerful. That way you're you know, you ate your food and you're kind of kickstarting digestion, you know, being able to just move your body after eating instead of just kind of sinking into the couch. Um, I've seen that make a really big impact in terms of just how people feel like stomach aches and, you know, GI symptoms and things like that. But it's also very helpful for blood sugar. And so really thinking about if I'm okay, if I want to be physically active and I'm not right now, like what's a good way to start? So something that you're not going to hate, something that you might, you know, enjoy. Maybe that's a few walks. Maybe it's, I don't know, workout videos online. Maybe it's going to yoga with a friend, but like there are a lot of options. And so just finding what works for you so that you can stick with it. Yep. I think the other side too, we've focused a lot on, you know, the nutrition education component, which is definitely huge uh, when it comes to diabetes, but Kat, I'm sure you found this as well. I've also found there's a lot of, there's like an emotional side of it, right? Especially for people who were just diagnosed with diabetes, um, or just people who know they have a family history and they're worried, like they're nervous to get diabetes. There's a lot of kind of emotional things that can come with that. And so for you and I, when we're working with patients, you know, in a private practice setting, like we typically have, you know, longer term relationships with patients. We might see them multiple Mm -hmm. times a month or once a month, you know, for a while. So we get into that because often I've found that that can be a huge blocker, right? So patients might um, when they're first diagnosed, they might be super overwhelmed and just like really confused. You mentioned before about so many mixed, you know, mixed information, a lot of sources out there. And I feel like that can create that sense of overwhelm and people can just start to feel like, oh my God, there's so much to learn. I'm never going to be able to do this. And then that sense of defeat, you know, sets in, which is not where we want to be, right? That's not going to help us kind of get on track and do the things we need to do from a nutritional standpoint, exercise standpoint, stress management standpoint. Um, we want to come from an empowered place. And if you're really feeling overwhelmed, then that's, that's a good sign. It could help to connect with, you know, a dietitian, another professional who can help just because, you're not alone. Like so many people go through this and there are so many people out there who can, who can help you. Yeah. I also think like 
you know, I, I've been in situations where I've had a client that has so much stress mm-hmm. that even after prolonged periods of fasting, they check their blood sugar and their blood sugar is like really high. And they're like, I don't, I can't have any food right now. Mm-hmm. Like I have to just, you know, have water because clearly I'm uh, not doing this correctly. And uh, we 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 tend to a lot of times when it comes to chronic illnesses, we tend to have this narrative that there's so much of that that is personal responsibility, and so you're you were irresponsible, and therefore now you have this illness. And it, there's so much more nuance than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I I talk about stress management with my pre-diabetes or diabetic patients mainly because stress has an impact on the way we metabolize glucose. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is people on uh, on the ventilator that have been fasting for a long time who are fighting for their lives in the critical care unit are going to have really high blood sugars sometimes because of the stress that their body is going through. Mm-hmm. So it's my point with this comment is that it's not as simple, I think, as like, oh, you just, you ate, too much ice cream and now you have diabetes right. it's like uh, it's, it's just a lot more complex than that and you, you, we also have to take into account like your um your life style or life pace you know if 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 you're uh, a very busy individual and you have a lot of stress and you have limited time to cook and limited time to prep and limited resources uh, these all play a, a factor in into this and so um I just, I wanted to put context out there that diabetes is not just because someone was naughty, you know, and mm-hmm. like had too many candies. Like that's not, that's not diabetes. That pays a very one-sided, very misunderstood picture of what this chronic illness can do and, and how it develops with a person. It, it will never develop overnight. There are many factors around it. Um, and understanding that self-compassion and compassion from a care provider is, I, in my opinion, it's not just needed, it's essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately not everyone receives that. Um, so I think the message mm-hmm. that you just shared is, is really crucial. Um, so if you're listening to this and you are, you know, newly diagnosed and, and blaming yourself, um, rewind and replay what Kat just said. Cause I think that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. I think, um, eventually we, we've discussed this Kelly, like you and I have talked about maybe making, um, uh, an episode on the latest sort of biggest trend when it comes to medication of like Ozempic mm-hmm. and stuff for uh, glucose management. I think that's a whole nother conversation, like metformin and all that, which um, I get a lot of questions about this. So maybe we can talk about it in a, in another episode, but um, the, the medical management uh, of this goes hand in hand with nutrition and lifestyle modification. And so there's a lot to say about this topic. Um, I just want to say that if you're listening to this and it feels like you know, you're, you've been thinking about it, um, whether this is personally or from your family, there are so many tools out there for this. Mm-hmm. Um, nutrition is one of them, and we are so happy and eager to jump um, and help anyone who comes uh, to us uh, for this. Um, but it's it's there the possibilities of glucose management nowadays are so much better. 
than they were a long time ago. So yeah, I guess that's, that's good news. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, thinking there are multiple factors, right? There's never one factor. As you said, it's not just like you ate too much candy and now you have diabetes. There are so many factors mm-hmm. that can go into someone being diagnosed. Similarly, so many factors that can help them manage that disease. So once you, you know, do sure. have the diagnosis, it's not just nutrition. It's not just medicine. You know, it's not just any one thing. There's multiple ways that you can kind of support yourself. And sometimes that just takes like amassing the right team, like making sure you have a healthcare team that does have that sense of compassion, you know, and you can be connected to the, the right resources, which I don't even want to get into the fact that like, that's not possible for many people, you know, around the world Mm -hmm. in the United States, um, which is really sad um, because in an ideal world, you know, you would have that healthcare team, you'd have a dietitian, like you've had people to help support with each factor. So obviously Kat and I know that's not the the case for everyone. Hopefully in the future it will improve. Um, But that's why Kat and I provide a variety of services, different price points. Um, We do the podcast, you know, obviously you can listen to this for free. So there are a lot of great free resources out there, which of course is not a substitute, you know, for working one-on-one with a healthcare provider. But we hope, you know, that we can at least provide something that can be a jumping off point for, for our audience. Yeah. Yeah. And if you guys um, ever, if, if anyone out there listening wants more recipes that are a little bit more like diabetic friendly or like content or questions, um, hit us up because we are down for providing that kind of stuff if we can as much as possible. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for another episode of our chronic disease mini series. We'll have at least one more. We definitely have one more topic in the works, another chronic disease that we deal with a lot with patients. Um, So that will be coming to you soon, but thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time. Bye.